Secretary of State's race was just mentioned. It's one of three constitutional offices. is the second in line to the governor. Secretary of State is the auditor of public accounts. It's the chief elections officer is the administrator of public records. Rich Vile, former Republican lawmaker, recently resigned as the deputy secretary of state, and now he is running for secretary of state, but not as a Republican, as a non-affiliated candidate. Rich, welcome to X-Ray. Well, thanks for having me on, Jefferson. Who are you and why are you running? Um, I'm just a guy who grew up in Southern Oregon and uh, had the really good luck to get a good education. Um, had a great career in, in law and uh, decided that in the third trimester of my life, I, I wanted to get involved in public service. Um, I'm, uh, I, I'll tell you, after serving in the legislature, in fact, from the first day I served in the legislature, it became apparent to me that uh, party politics was the enemy to good policy getting done. And so now that's my my personal uh, campaign is to do what I can about solving that problem. And that's a good jumping off for one of the more interesting things for us to talk about is you were an elected Republican. You decide to run. There are a lot of people I know who assumed you were going to be a front runner for the Republican nomination for the Secretary of State's office, and you decide to run for non-affiliated as, as a non-affiliated candidate. I didn't say an independent candidate because independent is a party in our state. One way of looking at that is, well, there's right now more independent, more non-affiliated voters in Oregon than there are Republican voters in Oregon. So that could be it could just be sort of political uh, math analysis by you. But what was driving you nuts about Republicans or more specifically about sort of political party disagreement that drove you to leave your party? Well, from the first day I served in the legislature, the caucus process uh, really was difficult for me. Um, I, I often found myself at odds with my own caucus. And when I would have good conversations with members of the, uh, of the legislature that were not of my party and went to the floor thinking that we really had found some common ground only to see the whip jump up and tap everybody on the shoulder and then have that vote go exactly down party lines it became very discouraging to me. Uh, good, heartfelt, nuanced, thoughtful conversation about policy just wasn't possible because each side was so committed to making sure that they didn't do anything that would hurt them in the next election. What did you do about that while you were in the House? Well, there wasn't a lot I could do other than be as uh, thoughtful as possible in the deliberations that I made talk constantly with both members of my party and the other party when I felt like I maybe could help uh, reach compromise. And uh, occasionally I crossed the aisle to vote with the other side. Um, uh, and, and frankly, that was often difficult. What are a couple of examples of policy that you crossed the line on you're particularly proud of? Or maybe more interestingly, anything you didn't, anything you voted alongside your colleagues in your caucus that afterwards you're like, you know what, I got hectored into doing that. I shouldn't have. Um, nothing comes to mind about when I should have crossed the aisle and didn't uh, off the top of my head. But I... I, I, I am proud of the fact that I helped sponsor Tobacco 21 as a freshman legislator. Um, I did cross the aisle on a, on a gun bill 
I'm actually a Second Amendment um, advocate, but uh, I felt like the boyfriend loophole was something that really should be closed. And so I did vote to, uh, to make it possible to take guns away from those that were uh, abusing a spouse or a girlfriend. When you, in addition to your significant growing questions around the wisdom of our two-party system and of uh, partisanship within legislative chambers, what differentiates you from a typical Republican? You know, if you're a listener now, maybe you live in Portland, maybe you live in the surrounding area, and you say, okay, is this, is this guy a Republican candidate running as a non-affiliated, or what makes him different from a Republican? Well, I, I think it's very important to... Um, for me to say that I'm not just a um, sheep in wolf's clothing running for the Secretary of State. I really did experience, both in the legislature and as the Secretary of State, the, the negatives of party politics. The reason I left the Secretary of State's office was because I was the presumptive Republican nominee for Secretary of State, and yet... Um, all that did was draw fire on an office that really has to be nonpartisan in its deliberations and its functioning. You, you can't have party politics play a role in elections. You can't have party politics play a role in, uh, in uh, public records. You certainly can't have party politics play a role in, in auditing agencies, uh, or you completely defeat the purpose of those, of those functions. So I'm a true believer. I am not um, going to tell you that I don't lean one way or another on a variety of issues, but frankly, I do not understand how I could align myself with any party at this point because everybody's platform is incomplete and doesn't reflect how I really feel about things. No, and I and I, I think there are probably a lot of people like, listen, okay, so I'm supporting blank candidate. Let's say I'm you know supporting Joe Biden for president, but that doesn't mean that I define myself as an affiliate of the Democratic National Committee, right? I can imagine a lot of people understanding that. I think they can understand that from Republican as well. And that still though begs the question, uh, leaves the question, what uh, on what policy areas do you find yourself throwing a biscuit at the television? And I don't just mean if the president says something stupid. I mean, and you already uh, clarified a little bit of your position on guns. Uh, I don't know if it's women's right to choose. I don't know if it's marginal taxation. I don't know if it's the scale and scope of the service of government. What are areas you find yourself disagreeing with Republican, with your Republican friends and colleagues? Well, um, elections is one. And if we want to stick to the issues that really affect the Secretary of State's work, uh, I think that's a good one to talk about. Many of my Republican friends think it would be a mistake to continue to uh, expand on uh, mail ballots, for example. I, I think we'll find even better ways than mail ballots to mail in ballots to make sure that every voter has the opportunity to access the ballot. Um, we, we allowed, for example, while I was at the Secretary of State's office, a couple of counties to run the uh, mail and, excuse me, the uh, absentee ballot online using blockchain technology to make sure that we had security there. And uh, frankly, that further access was something that, uh, I'm not gonna say Republicans, I'm gonna say perhaps the more conservative members 
of the party we're not happy with. I think we've got to do everything possible to make elections available to everybody. And of course, that's partly my problem right now. I'm running uh, in a primary where I am actually not, I don't get to participate in the primary. Everybody's going to get their voters pamphlet or has gotten their voters pamphlet. And guess what? They're going to open it up. And the guy you're talking to on the radio this morning is not going to be in their voters pamphlet. Because unless you're a Republican or a Democrat, you do not get to participate in the taxpayer-funded primary. That's wrong. And that's something that, uh, that I intend to do everything I can to work on. Now, that may not be just Republicans that disagree with me on. Uh, so far, the Democrats have disagreed that they should open their primaries also. But that's a good example, I think. Let's talk about those nuts and bolts. How do you end up getting on the ballot? What does that look like? Well, I've only got two routes right now. Um, as a non-affiliated voter, I can get on the ballot with 20,000-plus signatures or with uh, a, a nominating convention where at least 1,000 people gather in one place at one time. The Secretary of State certifies that they're all registered voters, and then they nominate me. Well, obviously, in the COVID-19 environment, neither one of those are going to work. The only other way to get on the ballot is to be nominated by one of the minor parties. Um, I'm not a member of any minor party, but most people um, think of the independent party as really, truly independent. They don't think of it as a party, even though you and I know it is. So I chose to participate in the independent party primary, which is open to anybody. So you're going to see uh, online here, I think starting tomorrow, the independent party run a primary where if you're an independent party member or non-affiliated voter, you can get on and vote in their uh, ranked choice voting process for who would be their nominee for Secretary of State. And I hope to be that nominee, of course. So the best path for you right now is to win the independent party nomination. I know I'm just repeating you. That is an online vote. It's happening almost right away. Uh, Dan Meek, who we were just talking to, by the way, is involved with one of the people who helped start the independent party. If you don't get the independent party nomination, does that mean the jig is up? Oh, no. I, I'm uh, hopeful, um, very hopeful, that we're not going to be in the lockdown that we are with COVID-19 forever. And if by, uh, I believe it's August 14th, I'm able to either gather the signatures or hold the nominating convention that I described a moment ago, um, I would be on the November ballot. Uh, actually, I, I kind of hope that, that that opportunity does come because a nominating convention sounds like uh, a fun and really interesting process. And um, whether I get the independent party nomination or not, I'm hopeful that we can run that as well. Let's talk about how to change the current party-driven system. You say that's a big motivator for you to run and a big motivator for you to not run as a Republican. Uh, what do you suggest changes in the way elections are run so that we change the current political structure? Well, certainly, as I mentioned earlier, I think opening the primaries is critical. If I were king for a day, I would uh, adopt the Nebraska-style process where you don't run 
with any label behind your name. There's a national movement uh, around this concept of no labels um, for uh, elections, and I, I think that is a very good concept. But here in Oregon, maybe taking baby steps, the first thing I would do is either decide that if the Republicans and the Democrats want to close their primaries, then maybe we shouldn't publicly fund them. Uh, if they're willing to open them up and everybody is uh, on equal footing in a primary, then that would be a different story. And, and I believe that publicly funding would be the appropriate play, way to continue to do that. And you're not worried about, in open primaries, the various counter-arguments, the strongest one maybe I've heard is the dynamic of game playing, that people will vote for the candidate, you know, somebody will come in and vote for Tulsi Gabbard, not because they think Tulsi Gabbard ought to be the Democratic nominee for president, but because they sort of want to troll the Democrats. They might end up getting people to vote in a primary just to mess with the result rather than they're picking their favorite. What's your reply? You know, I... I actually think that there probably is a small number of people that are very politically uh, inclined that might try and game the system. But I have uh, more confidence in the electorate uh, generally than that. I really don't think that in the long run, if it were opened up, the game playing would result in, um, in those kinds of things happening to any significant extent. And you know, the other thing that I think uh, really should go along with an open primary is ranked choice voting, so that maybe you vote for more than one person or, or rank your choices in a way that ultimately shows who folks really do um, uh, prefer as their candidate. Do you think that someone's stances on substantive issues, stuff that I suppose elections are substantive also, I don't want to fall into that trap, but on you know, a bunch of the stuff that Democrats and Republicans disagree upon. Do you think that stuff matters in a Secretary of State's race? I think it's very important for the Secretary of State to divorce themselves from making policy decisions. I think that it's extremely important for the Secretary of State to not just say that they're nonpartisan and that they don't have a policy position, for example, on an, on an initiative petition that comes before them um, uh, where they have to make a decision on constitutional muster, but they have to act it. They have to uh, put aside their personal feelings about any issue and act purely on the constitutional or, or legal basis that they're asked to, to act. Um, do we need to know whether someone agrees or disagrees with me on a particular policy issue, uh, I don't think that's nearly as important as actually believing that that person is not going to be subject to party politics and able to put it aside. And that's, that's the big reason I'm running as a nonpartisan. I will not be subject to the influence of one party or another. No caucus is going to be able to lean on me. Our current governor became governor because the last governor resigned. That is one of the most important powers of the Secretary of State, is they're essentially our vice president. They're essentially our lieutenant governor. You would agree, presumably, that the views of the governor on climate change, on transportation, on wealth disparities, on taxation levels, the views of a governor matter a lot, yeah? I, I can't disagree with that. However, I would tell you that now that I've been 
working in the administrative uh, or executive branch of government, it strikes me that a much more important function for the governor uh, than knowing how they feel about uh, particular policy issues is knowing how to actually function in government, knowing how to run things, a management function. And that's the critical piece for anybody in the executive branch is to really know how to make sure that government operates efficiently and effectively. Now, uh, take the position that the governor takes on climate change certainly is important, but guess what? The governor doesn't have a vote among those 90 people in the legislature. Yes, she has a veto, but her vote is really more in line with um, carrying out the wishes of the people when it comes time to do so. Well, i got to quibble a little bit. I mean, in every, as you well know, in every ultimate bill and uh, budget negotiation, the governor plays a really important role. But you brought up climate change. That's interesting. Uh, is this an area where you disagree with a lot of your colleagues? Do you think climate change is real and human-caused and we need to do something about it? Absolutely. There, there's no question in my mind that we are experiencing climate change and that it's a significant factor in the way we live and that um, certainly as we talk often about the most vulnerable among us, we need to be aware of how that's going to affect those people. Um, I'm, I may not agree uh, 100% with my Democrat friends, although frankly, I find a great deal of agreement with most of them as we talk about this. I, fi I find a great deal of agreement with most of my Republican friends as we talk about this. The folks that I talk to are much closer on this issue than the parties are. The parties need to stay apart from one another so that they can continue to fight and perpetuate themselves by doing so. But I absolutely think that climate change is one of those places where, but for the caucuses needing to make sure that they maintain loyalty, um, Cliff Bentz and Karin Power probably could have gotten into a room during the last session and hammered out an agreement that would have worked for everybody. But it couldn't happen because the caucuses would not let them stray from a strict party line. One of the other powers of Secretary of State's office that gets maybe underrated, underappreciated, is being one of three members on the state land board, meaning essentially it's the board of directors to decide what we do with state lands. What are the most important land board decisions that you see coming down the pike? And what indication can you give to people who care about the environment, who care about maybe timber unity, of where you would land on land board issues? The land board is actually one of the places that I really look forward to serving because uh, I did spend over 30 years as a land use attorney. And I have a lot of strong feelings about uh, the again the polarity that we're currently experiencing one of the people that I like talking to about this issue is Jim Irvine uh, former economics professor at PSU and formerly the the National Home Builders Association president Jim's a, a well-known figure here in Oregon but a very thoughtful guy when it comes to how we manage our forests um, Certainly, the, uh, the Elliott Forest issues are very, very important. Jordan Cove is very important. Can I tell you exactly how I would vote on those? No, because at this point, I don't think we have uh, vetted all of the issues in a nuanced and thoughtful and long-form conversation way yet. 
we've been bound up in, in again, party politics. My goal would be to break through those party politics and really get to the nuanced conversation that's necessary to get good policy. There's a risk. I mean, there's something very appealing about saying, I'm going to get past party politics and get to the real answer. There's also a risk that that becomes a you know, cloak that can cover any answer. It can become a response to anything and avoid us really understanding even the nuance because all we hear is, well, I guess the problem is party politics. Let's get past that. What should we do with the Elliott Forest? What would you have done? You know, I don't have the absolute answer, but what I know I wouldn't do is completely lock it up and uh, avoid any harvesting. I think that the OSU plan had some really... Um, good things about it, and and I would be anxious to continue pursuing that OSU plan. The the um, guys that got together, the guys and gals that got together down there in the Reedsport area, people like Kerry uh, Timchuk's brother, who uh, chaired that that group of folks that looked at the OSU plan, they really did give it a lot of thought, and they really did work to avoid avoid the polarization that that surrounded that issue. And frankly, I would agree uh, for the most part with their decision. And what about Jordan Cove? Where do you? So I, I hear that part, and you would that would you might not be on the side of timber unity, but you would definitely not be in alignment with sort of the key environmental activists on on there. What about Jordan Cove? Sort of a similar approach, where you might not be with sort of the climate activists, but you might try to find some path that didn't seem too extreme. Absolutely. I again. Jordan Cove is a good example of where we are um, affecting, again, the least, um, the least of our community members, the most vulnerable of our community members, those folks down there in Coos Bay who have experienced amazing difficulty as a result of a lot of the changes that have been made in, in the way our economy functions. And um, I, I believe we have to strike a better balance. However, we can't ignore the concerns of the environmentalists. They, they have very, very strong arguments to be made, and we've got to find a way to come together. I, I know that you don't like me to continue to say, oh, it's the polarity, it's the party politics, but Jefferson, it is. If we can get past that, I believe we can find nuance and, and common commonality that really doesn't give everybody everything they want but really does get us to much better policy solutions than we're getting to now. Heck, we can't get most of our stuff even beginning now, much less finished. But we can if we can get past party politics. Anything I should have asked you that I didn't? Well, <laughs> it, I, I, I'm really hopeful that I get to the November election. I'm looking forward to that. Um, I, I, I've got some fun people that are willing to support me in this. Uh, I just had a really interesting conversation last night with Thomas Lauderdale, who has agreed to endorse me here. And and uh, you know, Thomas is probably Th- Thomas is a guy that lives downtown in a in a loft with his partner. Um, I'm a guy who lives out on a farm with his uh, kids and grandkids. We probably couldn't be more different in how we live our lives and and frankly how we see a lot of things. And yet he and I have found a tremendous amount of common ground. And I really look forward to running um, and, and helping people to understand that it is possible. We can get past the party politics 
and there is a lot of common ground where we can get good work done. Rich Vile, candidate for Secretary of State. And by the way, I, uh, talking about fundamental transportation, uh, transformation of the system, love talking about that topic. I just want to make sure we don't keep it merely as a talking point. Rich Vile, thank you so much for taking the time. I hope we have a chance to do it again. Well, I look forward to it. Thanks, Jefferson, and best of luck with your show there. Be well.